Hi James, hi Michael, nice to have you guys on the show today. Um, of course Mike's uh, always here, but um, I, thought, I thought I'd welcome him anyway, keep, keep him feeling special. Um, Thank and, you. And <laughs> thanks. Appreciate the thought. Um, to, <laughs> cheers. Um, James, I thought we'd kick off today slightly differently to how we usually start off a, a Chet Venture podcast. We'll, we'll kick off with a, a few quick fire questions and to get your kind of like first response, like a, your, the person that comes to your mind. It can be a word, it can be a phrase, there's no limitation on that. Uh, how, does, how does that sound? Just so that you can get to know the audience. This is basically something we're trying to get our guests to connect to the audience more. Sure, just don't ambush me with anything uh, too crazy and we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, okay, let's just kick this off. First one I'm going to go for is Japan. Uh, sushi came to mind. Sorry, it's, it's, it's very traditional, but yeah. Cool, cool. Mike, are you going to go for the next one or should I? Uh, well, I'm going to do like a yes or no questions. Okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, right. So I've, I've got a couple of others in. Um, authentic life. Subjective. Okay. Mm. Um, uh, the woods. Or. Oh, okay, that's an interesting one. We'll pick up on that. Um, go on, Mike. That's that's my three. Okay. Um, well, I think we'll, we'll I'll probably need context added to this a bit later, but uh, uh, putting aside like your commitments at the moment, would you, because you, you live in Japan at the moment, uh, would you rather be back in Japan, uh, back in the UK, or where you are at the moment in Japan? That's not really answering the question, but... What do you mean by putting aside my commitments in Japan? So like, uh, let's say, uh, uh, what you're doing at the moment, um, you have a dog as well and everything. Let's say that you didn't have to think about any of that. <laughs> well, where would you rather, is it better, would you rather be back in the UK or you happy? Would are you, do you see yourself like here in Japan? Can, can I go on? Can I call, 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 call something here? I think we're not very good at this form of a Mike and I sort of intro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. um, I, I think I think let's let's I, I like where you're going with this, Mike. Maybe like two or three very short questions that summarize what's coming up in the podcast. Yeah. Or yeah. shall we just fuck it? I think well, I think, I think the, well my one probably needs a bit of context behind it before yeah. it can be answered, I think. Let's I think the icebreaker maybe so I think we'll set we'll record something separately in which we'll intro the whole podcast. I think maybe this icebreaker thing we gave it a go. Um <laughs> It's, <laughs> it's, it's, I think we just we just we just uh, ask the we just start talking to James and and then, um, and, and and let's let's just try and uh, navigate the, the first questions to kind of yeah I mean let's just just let's just let's just do our usual thing but um try and maybe the icebreaker with the audience is just that we try and show who James is a little bit uh, to the audience um just mm. ask like what basically what you're doing <laughs> like the thing what the podcast is about <laughs> okay um okay so we'll just start again i guess uh 
Hi, James. Hi, Michael. Uh, it's great to have you on the show, James. Um, I wanted to kick off by just, you know, asking you, you know, where are you? Where are you in the world? Uh, and, and what are you doing there? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, at the moment, I'm out in kind of central Japan, a uh, very rural region. Uh, the prefecture is called Nagano, and um, I am a forest worker, so kind of uh, less yeah, like... Okay. Yeah, sorry, come no, 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 continue, continue. If you yeah, I was going to say kind of less uh, commercial logging and like uh, timber stuff, but more like forest management. So uh, like uh, periodic like thinning of certain areas, planting new trees, uh, kind of cleaning up certain areas, uh, taking out trees that are kind of dying or sick so that the rest of the forest can kind of um, like grow to a more healthy stage. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of that kind of gig for the moment. I have to say, Forest Walker is an awesome name. There's yeah, that's a good name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. I, I I mean, I'm 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 curious actually. I think this whole podcast is going to be centered around like how how did you get to this? I know you had a background which was much more um, corporate, and and how did you get to this in Japan? I think that's going to be the center of this podcast. But first, I think what will be interesting for the audience is to understand where Nagano is. Uh, some context around like Nagano, uh, it's some interesting characteristic of its geography or, you know, um, yeah, just to place you. Uh, yeah, I suppose it's, it's, it's got, it's very mountainous, like I said, it's, uh, doesn't contain Mount Fuji, but it's got a lot of mountain peaks and ranges above, you know, like the two and a half thousand meter uh, altitude. It's got like the Northern Southern Alps. Uh, they're referred to as northern southern alps in japan so these very yeah very big and uh quite dangerous you know if you're a if you're a, if you're a dedicated hiker uh, mountain ranges if you want to really get up there and um yeah it quite can... a lot of the highest peaks in japan are in the, the japan alps i think right mm. yeah there's yeah. quite a few that are over three thousand, i believe i uh I, I I used to I worked for a couple of weeks in a blueberry farm in the Japan Alps and the and the stop of the major city was Nagano before yeah. the small train to the small towns went and uh, yeah I mean it's 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 pretty it's pretty epic you know um, like as you say very very steep sharp peaks you see the blue rivers rushing down like those crystal blue rivers uh, and. And, and and a lot of ice caps uh, in the distance, all around. You know, very yeah. very green. Um, so is 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 where you're at this kind of part uh, mostly forest, or is it like mixed farmland and uh, and what kinds of things are they farming out there? Uh, well, right next to my house, there's uh, there's a couple of pear pear fields where the guys growing pears. Uh, there's grapes, apples, like. Pretty much like all the yeah pretty wide range of produce really um plenty of rice fields as well uh broccoli like yeah i mean really in my area it's, it's kind of what 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 are they not growing really um i guess it, it's yeah with now gonna be in like fairly high altitude and um what yeah what's the actual name of the town is it is it, uh, is it the closest village, city Nagano. i'm in a village called Al i'm in a village called alki and then yeah. the 
closest city to me is Ueda, mm. and that is on the like Shinkansen Trail uh, mm. track from from Nagano, which goes through Karuzawa, and then it stops off uh, Sakodaira, which is another kind of big city, and then it continues up the valley towards Nagano City, uh, where it goes through yeah uh, Ueda, and then Nagano City. So if you if you go from Tokyo up to Nagano City, and you're going skiing, then it goes through um, Ueda, which is pretty much where, where I'm based. So, uh, is it is it is it quite easy to get back to um, uh, the main cities? Like if you wanted to let's say go to Tokyo or something, how long would that take? Do you reckon? Yeah, so it's pretty much like an eighty minute trip on the on the bullet train, which is that's convenient. Not, yeah, it's um, not too bad at all then. <laughs> Everyone's got to recognize when when you qualify with the bullet train. It's like it's like saying, "Oh, it's it's five hours by plane." <laughs> it's just like for anyone else in the world. That's uh, what is it by car? Um, bullet trains it's, are it's, phenomenal. I mean, on the on the highway in the car, it's not too bad. I think it's like three three hours maybe. It's three hours. Um, but That's yeah, the bad. highways are pretty pretty like efficient here. Um, yeah, and then if you want to get like a highway bus, uh, which is pretty cheap, it's like. Three thousand yen, one way, I think. So yeah. it's like half half the price of the Shinkansen. Um, that stops off at quite a few places. So there, yeah, that's like two and a half, three hours, right? Um, on a bus. Do you so feel the urge though to ever? Do you ever feel the urge to come back to the city, or are you are you just like content there? Um, sometimes you know I've also got Dylan. I've got close friend Dylan living in, in Tokyo. Um, yeah. Friends of since university, and we've, we've had a lot of fun together. And um, he he comes out to visit me uh, periodically, which is cool. Mm. But, I mean, having a dog now is, is probably the big. Uh, mm. I, mean, I, I I really wanted a dog, so it's kind of a, it's obviously a self-imposed limitation in a way. Um, mm. Now, as many things are in my life at the moment, which maybe we can get onto, but it's um it's yeah the priority is a dog really, and. Of course, I'd love to. I'd love to go down to Tokyo now and again, but it's a case of um, I'm living by myself and my dog, so no one's mm. here to look after the dog. So I, I kind of prioritize, <laughs> prioritize that and other things. And um, yeah, it's just not really a practical option at the moment. So. What would be cool is actually to, to I think share with the audience like how 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 you and Mike know each other because you mentioned Dylan, and I think this could be a nice segue into um, yeah. You know, the context of the dog and everything, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, um, he's a mutual friend, right? And we both were in the same industry, which uh, which uh, James managed to get out of. And I'm in the process of still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go on. Um, so and, you, and the industry. <laughs> Are you... So what did, what, did we, what did we used to do, James? I was going to say, who who would you like to give a summary? The person in it or the person who's escaped from it? Which 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 point of view would you would you like? Let's, uh, oh yeah, that's that's a good question. Let's just <laughs> let's start off with the person in it, and then we can contrast it with the escaping. <laughs> oh, uh, so go on, Mike. So explain uh, explain what I'm what I'm doing currently. Explain shipping and and yeah, exactly, and 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 and. and because that's the beginning of the transition away right mm. yeah. yeah so i guess um we both uh, came here in well we worked in rival companies um 
as ship brokers, which is an industry which is very quite unique, I would say. Um, it's very client based, um, so there's a lot of um, basically there's a lot of entertaining. Um, it's very fast paced. Um, let's just say often one of it, I would say 90% of the interviews that anyone would take to be a ship broker. One of the questions that probably you would always get asked is, can you drink? Um, how strong, <laughs> how strong are you with alcohol? Um, so I think that in itself is quite a good summary of, of, uh, of what shipping is it's very fast paced. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's all about, uh, making, uh, making as much money as you can and, you from, know, from a, from, from, from my layman's perspective, from my perspective, like just talking to you over the years. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the, the main job is about, you have ships basically that move cargo around the world. I'm not sure everyone's, if everyone's aware that a lot okay. of, a, a lot of like, of yeah, sorry. I didn't explain moves. exactly what it is. <laughs> I just yeah, explained yeah. <laughs> the aspects yeah. of it, which are which are <laughs> the stressful parts of it. But anyway, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's interesting in the sense that you're you're yeah. following the trade routes around the world. You are chartering ships to carry cargoes, essentially, from yeah. one port to another, and, and and you are just as a shipbroker, you're just the in between man to to connect the dots between uh, an owner, a ship owner, and someone who is chartering the ship to to carry the cargo from point A to B. Let's say it's it's coal from Australia to um, Japan or something like that. Um, and then you take a commission of that. So it's and and we work for we work for rival companies, um, meaning we often have the same clients. Um, so it's quite competitive and and the reason why uh, a lot of it is um, um, all about entertaining is because you want to make friends with your clients. You want them to support you. Yeah. Um, so there's very much that aspect. So how so often often the case is how party how hard you can party with uh, with your clients and how you can get them to like you more. <laughs> um, yeah. Often wins you the business. You know, it's very much like big money, big multinationals working with each other. As far as I understand. Uh, you're, you, you guys are in the middle, um, brokering deals with these guys, working with these guys. So yes, this kind of high te intensity for, for, from a layman's perspective, very much a very high intensity, lots of money flowing around, uh, corporate job. And if you like that kind of thing, there's a lot of money flying around and, and it's a lot of fun, but it's also mm. like you're, you're giving your life to this, to this corporate juggernaut from, so that's always been my kind of take, 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 take take on it exciting if you're into that kind of a thing um mm. i don't know if james wants to come in at this point and explain <laughs> why maybe it wasn't so exciting for him why he walked away. Um, yeah mark's covered it pretty well uh on the on the interview process recruitment uh part i mean part of my interview process the initial interview actually was going and drinking with with you know, <laughs> Um, it's, not, it's not just uh, it's not just being asked can you drink yeah. all right let's go for some drinks buy a lot of drinks and see see what kind of person you are which which is quite think about it's it quite, it's, it's quite fun quite, yeah. quite, quite a good it's quite a good strategy yeah. you know people let their guard down a bit more when they've had a few so um 
you know, yeah. kind of see what they're actually like. Um, but yeah, it is mm. quite unique to shipping, I think. And um, yeah, Chet, totally, you're totally right too. It's, it's if you're into if you're into all that, then it's it's a, it's a really good gig. Uh, and if you're very financially driven and you like all the entertaining and the kind of fast paced nature of it, then then it's it's really for you. But it, 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 if you really want to succeed at it, um, it's just all consuming uh, time wise, energy wise. It is. You yeah. really do have to give your 24 hour weekends, holidays. Um, yeah, I have colleagues who would go on holiday to Hawaii or whatever and they'd be on their phone for half of it or, or even all of it trying to do these big mm. deals, you know, so it's, you can't really I've, take... I've, if you, if I've heard of people on their wedding days, their wedding wow. days still fixing, <laughs> still doing deals. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty like, crazy. I do, I do. He's just like, no, 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 I was, I was, I was talking to my WhatsApp. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was talking to my clients, sorry, love. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, but again, it's it's, uh, it's it's the the rewards are really there if, if you if you really do devote your life to it. It's can be incredibly financially rewarding. So if you have a certain standard of life that you want to aspire to, um, in a very material way, then it's it the the, the world is yours really in, in in that sense. There's a lot of opportunity. Um, so so you know, having stepped back from it now, I really see that you know. Totally, like if, if that's for you, um, then it, it really is an amazing tool to to become very wealthy um, and, and yeah, create yeah. a very very good standard of life. But there's a huge trade off if you want to do that. So you just have to be aware of, of, of that side of things as well. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember like these uh, when I was hanging out with my, when he was working in Dubai, and there were like these grand stories of, um, especially back. I think in the early 2000s, there's a, the, when the market was peaking oh, before yeah. the uh, yeah. financial crash, and people were talking, telling me about like you know if they needed to, if they were in Norway and they had a deal in Japan, they would literally just get a helicopter and or like they'll fly and take helicopter whatever it took to get there really really quickly, and that's how much like money there was, <laughs> and yeah, I, it's, it, it, there is something exciting about that, but yeah, of course, as as you say, you have to devote everything. It's consuming. And it's only if it, it depends on your perspective over life. So what was it, James? Like, I don't know. Um, I'm going to just ask it and you tell me if this is like an appropriate question. But was there a trigger that kind of told you, no, this is no longer for me? Or was it a gradual process? And I guess maybe to add to that, like, how, how did you get into it in the first place? Maybe we begin with that. How did you get into it in the first place? And what was the trigger that... Um, and I said, like, no, this is this is not going to move on. Uh, so yeah, I wanted to be in Japan, having been here on holiday, uh, and I kind of just thought I'd like to live here and try and learn the language and, and see how it is, really. And so I did the usual gig, got an English teaching job, got sent out to Nagano, actually, for, for a year. And then Dylan, again, our mutual friend, was in shipping in Tokyo, and he referred me on to a couple of these companies, um, different, different broking shops and yeah had interviews and then got the opportunity to come to Tokyo so it's not like I was like oh I love shipping I want to be in shipping I want to find out loads about shipping uh, like many people you just kind of um, think oh this, this might be a good and this might be interesting this allows me to live in Tokyo or whatever and, and I was like cool let's let's go for it um, could also play more rugby as well because I wanted to play rugby and 
there's not much going on in Nagano, but there's a lot more in Tokyo. So uh, okay. that was another reason. And yeah, and then kind of four years in Tokyo and um, and then back out here to Nagano with a different opportunity. So I had a How good time. Uh, so yeah, the first year, it was pretty much uh, exactly a year that I was in Nagano okay. teaching English. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then, yeah, did you okay. get pretty fluent already by that point? Would you say? No, I, I mean, almost zero, almost zero Japanese competency at that point. I'd say I was, um, I really oh, didn't really? have a, yeah, I really didn't have uh, a good framework and like toolkit in terms of how to study. And mm. just, I just didn't really have, yeah, good, good way of study and. Yeah, I was I was focused on other things, and I had a close American friend who yeah. we went to the gym together and stuff. And he was just basically he was he was already Japanese N uh, one already, so yeah, he was super, okay. super high level Japanese, and he N- just translated everything for me. Yeah, like yeah, there's N1 a is like, N yeah. is the highest, right? And then N five yeah. is the lowest. Yeah, yeah. So I, I N1 guess N uh, stands highest for level of Japanese. N-, N stands for Nihon or something or Nippon. Yeah, so or something. Nihon no 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 ryokushiken, isn't it? Um, and don't ask me. Anyway, it just stands for stands for yeah the highest level of Japanese proficiency. Uh, where where to are you now? Japanese. Would you say? I don't know about it. That, that, that's another weird question that I'm sure you get asked as well. It's like, oh, so you're fluent now? And it's like, okay, what do you? What do you mean by fluent? And no, people I, just assume yeah. I'm in five all the time. I don't get asked that question as much. I don't get asked that question as much as I would like, honestly. <laughs> I think it comes from people who uh, are not necessarily... Well, I, I, I have either learned only language like through school systems never yeah, really yeah. lived in a country and and and, and picked up a language and i mean that's, that's the majority of people it's hard to i mean to, to move to a country and so i don't i don't have any expectation there but basically i think i've come to realize that um those levels don't really mean much there's there's so many ways even i've, I've actually self-reflected on my own english um having learned like spanish and other languages living in the countries and realize that I make mistakes in my English and, and yeah, I yeah. don't know all the words. There are people like your brother, Jamie. I mean, your, your brother, Mike, who's also called James or Jamie, um, mm-hmm. um, whose vocabulary is much wider than mine and, and uses words differently to the way that I do. And so, and so it's, it's kind of a weird one when you talk about, are you fluent yet? It's like, I can hold the conversations I need to hold comfortably. And I think the key is, do you feel like you can express yourself as who yeah, you yeah. are in yeah, your, yeah. if true. you can do that, I think that's, I think that's where it really is. is your personality coming through in your conversation or do you feel limited? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's really the, the, the question. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, sorry, I, I kind of, I think I distract, I, I made, uh, I incorrected the course of the conversation. I think you were asking about how you, how you, was there a trigger or, and then I started talking about Japanese language. Sorry. So I'll let you go back to that, James. Oh, yeah. Well, chat, chat. What, what, so, I, what do we get to? Oh, yeah. So I was in Tokyo four years. Yeah. And then, yeah. Um, so, yeah. You, 
Nagano for one year, and then yeah. you moved over to Tokyo. So I guess you worked in shipping for four years. Yep, same uh, company, uh, four years. Nice, and then and then yeah. So 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 um, yeah. What 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 was the evolution there, and what did, what made you kind of like yeah realize that no actually, this isn't this isn't what I want to do. Um, probably just like cute like a uh, what's the word compound co- compounding factors really. Uh, like it, it wasn't really there wasn't really one specific incident or specific so thing. Kind of thing. process. Oh uh, yeah, and like so, just um, having a proper think about things, and like COVID hit him probably, and I kind of thought to myself like, yeah, I think a lot of people ask themselves like, okay, a lot of stuff's going to shit here. People, some people don't even have jobs. Uh, mm. Some people are like, yeah, dying. Um, not that I'm like, not that I was super alarmist about about all that stuff or anything, but yeah, I was like, well, what do I really want to do? Um, I always thought that I'd like to move back to Nagano at some point. Um, but I think like, like most people, you have this idea of, oh, I'll work, get a pension. And then mm. when I've got a lot of money saved up, I'll, I'll go and move out somewhere nice and do, do what I want to do. But like having listened to, I suppose, like various podcasters and like social media figures who I follow and stuff, uh, a lot of them speaking about, you know, Uh, some of them mentioned how you know your body's not going to be up for it to do the stuff that you want to do when you're older um yeah. when you're 60 70 you're not going to yeah. be able to go hiking particularly vigorously or um go hunting you know in the deep mount- in the in the deep mountains with your dog or hmm. do exercise to a, to a, to a particularly intense level like when you're old um but a lot a lot of us tell ourselves like oh I'll, I'll do it when I'm do it when I'm older, yeah. you know, I'll do it, I'll do it when I've worked my balls off to save up a load of money and pay off a mortgage and then, yeah, and then, and then I'll do it. And it's like, ah, uh, well, yeah. will that day ever actually come? You, you might be dead mm. by then for a start and then your body's going to be, you know, not so uh, yeah. supple and, um, and energy yeah. full, uh, if that's, yeah. if that's the word. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So some of those ideas came to my head, and then, yeah, reflecting on whether work, the kind of work I was doing, was really what I wanted to do. Was it was a fairly obvious no. Um, really, it was just mm. a tool to to get an income and be able to live in Tokyo. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, a lot of the so sorry, one. No, no, sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to cut your story. Yeah, I mean, I already touched on how it was. It was really all-consuming the job I kind of I looked at colleagues around me and the people who were really really successful it, they were really really just all in you know? um, yeah, yeah Michael knows Sam Sam mutual friend and he is just like the exemplary like he's a really good broker like phenomenal um, at what he does but totally all in like totally um, always always on his phone always working hard and for him, he clearly like, enjoys that, and um, he has certain aspirations that he he he, he, he uh, yeah he has certain aspirations which mean that doing that job makes sense for him. But mm-hmm. for certain other people in the industry, uh, and me included, you have stuff outside of work that you want to do, like sports or just being able to turn your phone off for the weekend or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, 
it's not an option. <laughs> yeah, it's just it, it's simply it's simply not an option. And like even when I go to sleep, I put my phone on airplane mode. Like you just can't do that when you're in shipping. Um, you can't be unreachable because you lose a deal and and you get yeah. shit, you know, from your colleagues and your boss. And ultimately, the reason you're there and getting paid is to to bring in business. And it's totally understandable why it's a high pressure environment in that sense. Um, but yeah, the, the whole having to be 24 hours, seven days a week available um, and not being able to just go like, okay, phone off now. I'm going to read a book or I'm going to do some sport or I'm going to hang out with friends or go on a date and actually not check my phone while I'm on a date, for example. <laughs> like, that was, um, that's, that's something that I kind of it happens. Realized. It happens a lot, doesn't it, actually? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, all the time. And it's, it's man, it's always when your phone never goes off when you're chilling watching Netflix at home. It was always when <laughs> you're, having, you're having pizza at a restaurant with someone nice, and yeah. beep, 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 beep. you're like, oh come on. And you're like, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, you may not understand, but I have to take this call. Like. <laughs> I- I've been on the receiving end of that with Mike a few times. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's like we were having our Sunday meet, and 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 it's. Uh, well, I'm never that polite to you. I'm just like. Why? Jet. Initially, you were. <laughs> Initially, yeah. you were like, oh, yeah. you know, because it was constantly buzzing your phone, and I was like, what the hell's going on, man? Isn't it's just like you know, like I've, I've got, and then and and now I think I realize more than even back then, like, yeah, mm. it's it's about closing the deal. You can't get in front of your boss on Monday and say I didn't close the deal because why. You didn't pick up your phone. What the, what it's, the head is it's that? It's also because it's, um, it's because yeah. other people are relying on you uh, to do their business as well. Because if you know, if you're if you're being lazy and you don't answer the phone, uh, your competitor is gonna get the business. But then your colleague has then also lost the business that they could mm. get as well. So they're gonna be upset mm. with you. They're like, you know, what the fuck's going on? I've I lost out on this deal, this deal because you're being a lazy fuck. Like um, mm. it's not on, you know. Yeah. So it's it's this, the pressure is I would say mainly from that. You can't not be available. Yes, yeah, so, can't let people down. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I completely understand. You know, you can't just switch off. Um, I, I wanted to ask. Uh, I want to pick up on something that you said earlier. James, you said, and uh, you said that you know one of your friends. He's he's got certain aspirations and goals, you know, and so it makes sense for him to do this job. And, and I actually quite like that. I think sometimes when we're younger, we we don't have a clarity of what that aspiration is for us, and that's why we do a variety of different jobs, and then realize that some of them don't 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 fit us. Uh, do you have? And it's okay if you don't. It's quite a deep question. But do you have like a sense of what your aspiration is? Like I, I get that you what I, I kind of glean that you 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 like the outdoors. You want to do more things with physically and and engage with the world in a very different way than what shipping was allowing. But do you have like this kind of end aspiration that your current lifestyle feeds into, or um? Or, or not i mean it's okay i mean i'm just wondering i wouldn't say so really like i wouldn't say i've um i think that probably comes with uh at least my general instinct is if you have a partner or wife who uh, you know who you're very clear about a future with mm-hmm. then a lot of those things become much more 
come into focus, you know. Um, whereas, yeah, generally I feel like when you're when you're single and it's it's about you and like kind of what you want to do. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's not that it's short term versus long term, but it's mm, hard to phrase it. No, I'd yeah, say yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. It's more open minded and flexible, and it's like, okay. Well, I'm gonna for now. I'm gonna work towards this. Um, and this kind of lifestyle and these and, and, and this standard of living and mm. and then certain things come into your life like women kids uh yeah you know, maybe your maybe your parents get sick and that's another thing you have to maybe mm. you know consider in terms of what kind of lifestyle you, you can or want to live so yeah i think for now yeah i don't particularly have any like so yeah how yeah, did you become an point as well? How yeah. did you become a forest walker then? I th- Sorry, I, th- I, I think are you, are you saying wa- walker, Michael, instead of worker? Did you? Did you oh, was it? <laughs> I thought you said forest walker. I thought it was like no. oh, that's such a cool name. That like, sounds like it, something it, yeah. like Game of Thrones no, no. or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe I should maybe I should like rebrand rebrand my position yeah. as forest walker. Okay. It does sound quite complicated. Okay. Take me back, like, wait, does, does this come, uh, does does wanting to be outdoors in the forest, hunting, come from anywhere? Like, was this related to your childhood or anything in any sense? Did you grow up close to nature or is it more of a, yeah, like, is, where, where, yeah, where does that instinct of yours uh, come from? I don't know, I think it's hard, to, it's hard to put my finger on, on that really. Uh... I mean, I was, yeah, I was generally sporty, generally liked animals growing up. Like, uh, my mum always refused to buy us a dog because it would be too dirty and messy, too much cleaning involved. So <laughs> I was kind of dog-deprived as a kid, uh, which maybe yeah. led to me wanting to have a dog massively. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the, the, the outdoor stuff, I don't know, I, I've always been obviously yeah, sporty, quite ambitious, like physically and sporting wise. Mm. And I, I do remember uh, in my kind of early 20s, like reading, reading a little bit more around hunting and, and that side of things. And just, okay. just really, just something just kind of resonated Clicked. with me. That, oh, this is a really cool, like, taking ownership of getting your own food and putting, like, getting your own meat. And, yeah. Uh, mm. really like it's this very primal and like ancestral thing. Um, I'm I'm a, yeah. I'm a historian as well by by my degree by training. So, um, and I've always been interested okay. in like more classical medieval history. And I guess like a lot of boys, you, you're into like swords and sandals history, like knights and yeah. like that kind of like romantic old era of of like. Yeah, warriors and stuff like that. So I don't know, maybe there's part of that in the subconscious somewhere. But um, no, I remember mm. reading around it in my early twenties and thinking, oh, this is like this is just really cool, and um, wanted to learn more about it. But being in the UK, so it's, cool. it's it's kind of a bit of a reserve for wealthy people, at least in England. And you can do it in Scotland a little bit, but it's even then it's quite pricey and and it's quite it's quite. Uh, a good question actually it, there's no hunting allowed in in the the uk except for scotland no no it, it, again it's all very area dependent and there's a lot there's a lot of stuff to do with it, it's a lot more controlled and strict around 
people's estates and private lands. Um, mm. Like licensing is is very uh, strict. The, the gun control is actually arguably more strict in the UK than it is in Japan, and even Japan's often often touted as like the most gun strict country uh, in the world. Yeah, true. But the UK is 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 arguably. I've looked into it. It is it is very very strict. And um, anyway, yeah, so Scotland's a bit more doable, but yeah, it's also very very cold and boring up there. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so so like yeah i mean i i I get that idea of of uk being this place that kind of for example i i i was inspired by by david attenborough and by no i wasn't inspired by that i i I was already naturally a naturalist i guess since i was very very little and then seeing all these documentaries and stuff blew my mind and then it's like looking out the window in britain it's like no, I can only study it here. I can't actually get involved with it. And life yeah, kind of brought me now in Brazil and Colombia. It's, I, I get that kind of journey. Um, but take me through um, like then hunting. What's the experience of hunting? Because I've, 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 I've done a little bit of, uh, no, not really. I haven't really hunted, not properly. Um, and I think for a lot of people, this is an experience which they've they've never really engaged with. Um, it can seem, especially if you're coming from Britain, something that's, I don't know what, what farmers do to, 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 to get rabbit meat <laughs> and, and, and fox hunting and all these kinds yeah. of images come to mind of, yeah, like rich aristocracy, torturing animals, chasing them for fun. But actually, you know, you, you speak about it as putting food on the table. So what's the, what's the, yeah, experience of, of being in, in in the woods hunting with your with your dog, I guess. Um, yeah, it's um, uh, I guess as, as a late relative latecomer, I suppose most hunters around the world probably do it with their dad from the time that they're a teenager. It's probably the like, just, just like numbers wise, it's probably something you're almost born in. It's almost like your religion. Like you're kind of born into it, probably for 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 a lot of mm. people. Uh, at least from my impression of listening to Americans speak about it, it's like oh, I went out mm. and killed my first stag with my dad, kind of thing. Uh, when I was mm. when I was a kid. Uh, whereas, yeah, for me, I'm probably in the minority that it's come later in life, um, which gives maybe a different different flavor and different kind of perspective around it. Uh, but yeah, the <clears throat> just it's just it's hard to explain. Like mm. something really primal does kick in when when you're out there stalking and tracking and you hear something cut, you, you hear the, you hear the brush, the brush, the brush, the uh, brush. Yeah. What's the word? Brush bashing. So you hear brush bashing over the slope and then you, you see a flash of something come through and really something primal just does just like kick in. It, it's, it, you can't, it's something you can't explain without having experience. Yeah. And yeah. Um, the adrenaline is, is, is really, uh, it's like nothing else, I think. Um, what are you hunting mainly? So I focus mainly on the, the big game species in Japan: uh, deer, boar, and, and we've got black bear on the main island, which are all they're all indigenous indigenous. You Did hunt you use black indigenous bear? For animals as well. You didn't. Yeah. yeah or and they're all native. Yeah. Or they're endemic. To, um, yeah. They're all native native species to Japan. Um, the boar are kind of like in many countries a little bit inbred, uh, interbred with domestic pigs, which have like escaped from farms and stuff. Um, oh. So there's a bit of a 
like crossbreeding thing going on there. But uh, is that intentional? Yeah. Uh, there's some intentional crossbreeding because the the meat it, it gives a certain flavor to the meat. Um, uh, okay. You know, so and it, it's like not as fatty as pork, but not as lean as as wild pork. It's kind of in between. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I can only imagine like the 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 the, the boar fetish as like these European uh, domestic pigs like got got released and it's just like wow, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> I must breed with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's <just> you, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, that's super interesting. I was gonna uh, so 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 those those are the main species and like um, you talked about like this primal is so so what what do you hunt with? Is it like um, I might sound stupid, but like is it trouts, bow and arrow, gun? <laughs> no, no, it's a completely fair question. Um, there's no no bow hunting allowed in Japan. It's legal. Um, yeah. There's no crossbows allowed. Uh, for your first ten years of hunting, you're only allowed to use a shotgun. Um, so like a three three round shotgun. So you use slugs, use slug slug rounds in that, which are like mm. bullet bullets. Uh, so you're not you're not yeah. you're not just using shot, um, which mm. would be a bit a little bit cruel. Uh, and then after ten years, you can get a rifle, which can hold up to six rounds in it, and you know that's got a bit more range on it and a bit more power uh, and a bit more accurate. So. You know, I mean, some people don't even get a rifle in the end because they're quite accustomed to using a shotgun. And mm. a lot of the the, the, the the terrain, especially in 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 the main island and then the mountains on Honshu, the main island, it's just like very, it's like this. The mountains are just like this. And it's, mm. it's, it's not really a open, there aren't these open plains where you can, you know, scope out a, mm. a deer over several hundred yards. It's It's pretty short range stuff a lot of the time and mm. a lot of people using dogs sure. and like driving driving the prey around um so that it comes kind of flying down the slope towards you or up the slope as well um so yeah that um, comes up. How, how, how close is close range like how, how how close do you have to get to shoot them uh you could be between 10 and 50 meters uh to okay take shot it's quite close that, so. what so yeah why is I mean, bow not allowed by the way is that is that because it's just never been not seen as a human. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think from firstly it's Japan, so it's like if it, if it's not legislated for, then it's just like not a thing, you know. Okay. So, and it, and, doesn't and need, you don't need a valid reason. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't need. It, and, and and if it's if it's no tradition around it, then well, tradition being post World War Two, you know, when the Americans came in and kind of uh, reinstituted mm. everything. Um, yeah, and, and because it's because it's silent, there's no bang when you when you release an arrow. It's uh, you know no one no one knows you're there, and no one knows you're out there doing it. So you can you you could you could go around, in theory, being much more secretive and uh, you know kind of doing stuff illegally. I suppose I think that's a lot of the reasoning around it. It's it's silent basically. So you know. The surrounding villagers and other hunters in the area—they have no idea that you're you're there. So um, that's yeah. dangerous um, in their eyes. So. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I guess I mean I've I've been in the U.S. where where people have been hunting. Now I, I was in Alabama and I was fishing, and in the background you could hear shotguns, and that was really important because it meant yeah. that 
you were aware that there's somebody out there firing bullets and, and yeah. you, could, you yeah. could figure out your own safety. If it was an arrow, something would just shoot past your ear maybe at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and that would be uh, uh, really dangerous. I did hear that it's, uh, there, it, I don't know, it sounds like it could be quite dangerous in Japan. Like there's these old guys who are, who <laughs> can barely, barely lift the, the gun and they're kind of like just waving the gun around, like trying to, trying to aim for the, the, the bore. And then, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't sound like you want to be around those kind of guys. <laughs> or yeah. the, you were saying earlier that like they, they'd be uh, drinking heavily the night before and then off tracking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's some. I mean, the average age in Japan is obviously an issue. I think everyone's yeah. aware of this by now. The aging population over here, and the average age of hunters is something like uh, seventy in Japan. So it's um, it's like mid mid sixties, seventy, something like that. So I, I at thirty, I'm bringing the average down by by quite a lot in my area. Yeah, you know, you've got guys guys hunting since before I was born, like five decades now. Um, in the same group as me, which is great because mm. they have a lot of experience, but mm. it's, um, yeah, it's an issue. So in 10, 20 years, I might have the whole country to myself, maybe to, to hunt. Food, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, can you, I'm, I'm curious, what was your first time ever hunting? Um, was, you know, was, yeah. What was that? Um, I went, well, I, uh, I went out my first year. I, Again, the whole licensing process is extremely strict and very just bureaucratic. So the first year I was involved with a hunting group, I didn't have my like gun permit stuff. So <clears throat> I went out just helping out and watching. So that was quite, um, that was very interesting to, to be around and, and help out with butchering and uh, yeah, just, just to kind of help out. But then first time actually, actually doing it, uh, yeah, we're on like a group a group driven hunt which means you pick an area maybe between 10 and 20 people depending on the size of your group you'll pick spots around this mountain pretty much and around the forest roads and you get everyone gets set up quite far away from each other because we've got quite mm. we've got these fox uh, european foxhounds which um we let loose and they you know they sniff around the mountain and pick up on scents and then and then end up pushing the push pushing the deer and stuff around around that area and if obviously you're, you're all set up in different spots, so the idea is push around the game and it will come come to someone uh, or mm. it will come across a certain area. And yeah, this tiny little Bambi um, came came kind of running down this, because actually, so part of the great adrenaline and the kind of uh, experience of it is you, 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 you hear the dogs in the distance, right? Mm. And when they get woofing, you know that you know that they've picked up a scent, and uh, the kind of style of their barks can indicate mm -hmm. like if they've just picked up a scent, or whether they've actually seen something, or whether they've got like a really strong scent. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously, as the as the as the dogs, the sound of the dogs gets closer and closer, you you, yeah. you know the 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 likelihood is that they're pushing something towards you right so uh, okay. that's like it's like you know it's this primal instinct of kind of something something's coming because the dogs are coming and yeah uh, you, you get you, ready you, you don't want to let the dogs down so you kind of um uh, okay focused and how do you make sure that i mean are the dogs do they make sure to stay like way behind i mean 
I mean, because if you've got they, a shotgun, they, it must be dangerous as well yeah. for the dogs, no? Yeah, but we're, again, we're not using shot. We're using like slugs, so we're using uh, ah, like okay. actual actual bullets instead of okay, like okay. spray shot. Ah, okay, okay. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, there are very very rare instances of of dogs getting shot by a stray bullet, but it's um, yeah. it's very very rare. And very rare. and I, I mean, if if most again, pretty much every hunter, then if the dog is within like very very close range of the animal that that they, they, they probably won't take a shot until yeah until it like separates and goes like across the slope maybe away yeah. from the dog mm. something like that but even though, so the, the the deer are very sensitive especially in japan so they they know from like several hundred meters away uh, or even even further probably they can hear the dogs and they can probably smell the dogs Mm. So they're going to be running like fairly a fair way ahead of the of the dogs, mm. but yeah. And then this band becomes comes streaming down this slope. I couldn't quite see it, you know, at first. I could kind of see something moving down the slope, and mm. then it kind of hit this forest road and sprinting towards me. And uh, uh, yeah, the the adrenaline was the first time compared to every time after. The adrenaline was just crazy the first time, like. Um, I guess just the pressure of like, okay, yeah. I finally, finally mm. got something in front of me, and uh, yeah. you're gonna take it's, it it's it's on me to really to to, to do it now. Uh, I don't want to let everyone down. I don't want to let the dogs down, and I've got a dog waiting at home to to give some meat to. So I don't want to let my dog mm. down as well. And um, and mm. I've got Parv as well. You've been through the whole bureaucratic nightmare of trying to get a gun and and stuff in Japan. So you're like, well, I better make it worth it now because um, <laughs> spent all this money and all this time and stress at the police station trying to trying to get hold of this. And uh, yeah, I, put, I think I put I put more bullets in it than I needed to, but I, I was, you know, I was, I was, um, I, think, I think my first, I think my first, because again, it's, if it's some deer, they'll keep moving even if you hit them, right? So mm. they couldn't move for another hundred meters. Before they just wow, um, mm, wow, even several hundred meters. Even if you hit the vitals, they might go quite a long way. So really, wow. Yeah, I think hit the vitals, um, but I, I put another couple of rounds in it, and then it kind of moved along the slope, and then just sat down and and was was gone very very quickly. So um, yeah, it was it was quite a powerful experience, but um, very you're immediately very very like thankful and think oh wow this is awesome I, I can put some food on the table that, that was kind of the overriding feeling really. what are you thankful to because i guess in that moment you've 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 taken the, the life of this thing i don't know um but of course you know it's food it's food for your dog it's food for yourself so what what, what i don't know if, if 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 what that experience of thanks is 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 yeah, can you explain that a little bit more? Like, just expand on that experience of thanks. Um, is it is it to the forest? Is it to the deer? Is it just a general kind of feeling um, of like you know I'm lucky here. I can I can eat and I don't know why, so I'm thankful. Um, com- uh, probably a combination of things, I guess. It's uh, part of the part of the interest in hunting as well was was reading around, you know environmental issues and and kind of i think most people are obviously now aware of how kind of how uh 
how much um uh so what again there's obviously varying opinions on this but generally speaking the the amount of fuel and resources that goes into uh factory farming of of, of domesticated livestock uh, is just absolutely huge and yeah. uh, for me it's less the environmental thing i think it's more the uh kind of ethical side of um i, I kind of had a I really thought about okay is it is it really okay to have all these chicken packed in this tiny 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 little place or like eat pretty much eating each other shit all day and being being pumped full of steroids so that they can grow to full size in like a week like however many weeks time uh just to support this kind of um culture we now have of of being and being able to go into a supermarket whenever we want and have a fresh pack of chicken line that kind of thing so like it's kind of ruminations around that side of things uh and then being like well if Mm -hmm. i can take responsibility to go out there and do it myself because i think you know, if you're going to eat meat, you should be prepared to stick a knife in a chicken's neck yourself, right? Like, you, you sh- mm. so many people, this is a whole other time, this is going to turn into a hunting podcast, but it's like, so many people you speak to around hunting, they, their immediate emotional reaction is just, oh my God, how can you kill an animal? And it's like, okay, are you a vegan? And they go, no, 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 I'm not vegan. And you go, well, hold on, hold on. Like, you, so you eat a chicken, but you're not prepared to, like, strangle it or break mm. its neck yourself or, like, stab it and then and then butcher mm. it yourself. Like, mm. there's a weird cognitive dissociation. And, um, yeah, com- complete yeah. dissociation with the, the food chain that we now have. And it, it's understandable, of course, because we live in these huge urban societies, and that's just the way the world is right now but it takes about two minutes in my opinion to to sit and like think okay this food in front of me where did it come from who's who's put the work in to actually produce this thing and uh and then realize yeah. okay well i should probably be prepared to not not that, not yeah. that everyone has to go out there and do it themselves like that that would be completely unrealistic but um if you can yeah. and if you're prepared to then i think it's just quite admirable to to go out there and do it basically that's kind of um, one of my think, ruminations on it i guess no, that's cool so 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 it's kind of like you're you're almost thankful that you're it's possible for you to live this life in which your in which your kind of food your values everything can be integrated um like you know you can go out there and and and, and get your own food and it is a possibility for you um, I, you know, you know, but I to to your point there about I mean I I don't want this to be a veganism podcast either, um, <laughs> but I, I I think all of this comes from this grand urbanization and and the large food chains we have that disconnect affects it in both ways. So you have people who eat meat who don't understand like who think like killing an animal is you know the the, the association is just is is not there such that they see the connection between that and their food. It's more like these two different events. And it's like, why would you do that for nothing? And that's where the veganism comes from, because a lot of people, they react. Factory farming is one thing, but in general, people reacting negatively towards any kind of death that's involved with their food is a very alien idea. Um, and and death itself is is an alien idea we're disconnected from that in our urban lives too mm. uh, the, the realities of that we, we cushioned it we we 
endows ourselves and stimulation to so death itself is, is an alien idea and and um and and so it's like almost you want to avoid it altogether i, I what i'm trying to say is there's a lot of this comes from a sense of disconnect and weakness um whereas once you spend any time in a forest even camping and hiking for an extended period once you've worked with a farmer on a real farm that maybe not as a factory farm but a local little uh, place you begin to just have you begin to see things from from that perspective like we we had chickens i always thought that you know just just having any kind of domestic animal urban mindset any kind of domestic animal uh it's like but why 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 would i trap them uh, no, and, no, no. and and for my needs and even if i no, want no. eggs i want eggs why do they have to but then when you're on the farm and, and we had 50 chickens in colombia uh, my father-in-law did and and they weren't caught up in this little pen they were free to walk around and and eat whatever they want and they lay their eggs and we take the eggs and it's like yeah i mean we're protecting them from the hawks there's a lot of care that goes into this there's yeah. a lot of uh, they were eating an amazing diet. My mother-in-law would like make them all sorts of little treats and stuff. Um, and, 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 and there's that relationship that man and animal has, um, and man and nature has. And I guess, you know, we're so disconnected from it. I guess that's what you're kind of in a way mentioning here about that primal sense. I don't know. I just wanted to bring, bring that, monologue up i shouldn't do monologues um, <laughs> <laughs> so i um, yeah come comes from my years of veganism and, and 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 not being that anymore um okay cool so so you're you're out here in nagano you're mm. uh hunting um to put food on the table and 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 so how, how's all this being sustained? I'm, I'm guessing this this comes to the, uh, the 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 tree walker thing that Michael's talking about. Forest walker, tree walker. Now it's tree walker, forest. not forest walker. <laughs> <laughs> tree, walker. Yeah, tree walker. Yeah, forest worker, forest worker. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. I'm curious. Tell, 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 tell me more about that and and, and how that uh, what what that work is and lifestyle is. Uh, yeah, so uh, it was a completely random opportunity. I came out hiking to Nagano with with Dylan, our mutual friend, and we met this guy. There's a halfway hut, you know, like a, lo- a mountain hut on the way up for where people take a break, and there's like a mountain ranger who chills out there. And if someone needs rescuing, then he goes out and gets them. And you stop off and have a cup of tea or whatever. And um, we were on the way down, and then coming up, there was uh, this yeah, these three other white people. And as is the case in Japan, you you spot other foreign people, you strike a conversation. Um, <laughs> the, the foreign fraternity in Japan, you know, you, uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you immediately... We're lost together. Uh, yeah, exactly. We're all, we're all a, it's, a, it's a minority mindset, you know, you kind of, you have uh, empathy. And um, yeah. you, yeah, he, we just had, had a chat, all sorts of stuff. And he's this German guy who had been in Japan for, for quite uh, like four decades now, been there for a long time. And um, yeah, 20 years ago, he set up his own forestry company. And yeah, he just said, hey, look, if you, you, look, you look young and fit, if you want to try out forestry work, then by all means, come out and give it a go. So completely- Did it any alarm bells? Uh, not at that you point. You look young, no. young and fit, 
you should uh, come uh, and give Forshi a go. <laughs> Uh, maybe, I, yeah, it's a good point now. In, in, in retrospect, uh, you know, maybe, but he seemed all right. Seemed seemed genuine enough, and yeah, he even gave, gave me one of his meishi. He had a meishi, you know, with his with his company on it and stuff. So that's what I thought. One of it, sorry, um, is um, that... meishi is a business business card. So uh, yeah. gave me one of his business cards, and. Um, yeah, that was. I mean, that was even. That was almost a year and a half before I actually made the move. So I did do. I did. Mm. You know, kind of immediately. I remember dinner on the day. Dinner was like, man, that's that's so cool that you've like you've randomly bumped into this guy. Like you've mentioned before, how you you want to move to Nagano one day. Uh, mm. Why not? Why why not think about it? And, and again, this was mm. still quite a while before I haven't moved. But um, yeah, obviously took a long time mm. thinking about it. Pros and cons and like how the kind of trade-offs that I'm willing to make in terms of my lifestyle, what I want to prioritize. And uh, yeah, eventually I was like, well, I'll take him up on his offer. And yeah, moved out there. So uh, in terms of the, sorry, you asked about like hmm. life, the lifestyle and kind of. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that that's kind of what I was curious about as well. Yeah. Like how, how did you get, get, get involved with this? And, and you're like weighing up the pros, pros and cons. Um, you mentioned pros and cons. And so, yeah, I mean, what, 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 what were the pros and cons? Like, were you, were you, were you worried about this move, especially, you know, being, you know, this career move? I mean, it's, yeah, no, yeah, I mean, um, yeah. standard of live, like the, how to say it, the, I, I suppose a big thing for anyone is, is money, right? So. Uh, I took like a 70, 70% pay cut to, to move out here, which, mm-hmm. yeah, again, depending on your lifestyle, like uh, expectations and what you're doing. Um, if you always want to go on holiday every few months, if you want to see a family every year in a far country, if you have expensive hobbies, then maybe you can't take that sort of pay cut. So it's, it's not practically feasible, but for, for me, um, yeah, I was happy to kind of, uh, like I'm fine with not going on holiday every, every few months or, you know, like mm. going. Say yeah. The pros are, are far away the content. I mean, well, I guess also, is it, is it much cheaper? You said like you took a big pay cut, but I guess out there it's cheaper anyway. So that kind of like uh, you can still, you know, uh, and and you're hunting as well. So you pretty much all the meat that you that you're eating is the food that either you're hunting yourself and then putting on the table. Um, so that cost is kind of like is uh, relieved in a way. And so maybe you know it's not actually a, such a big hit that you can feel because of uh, the way you're living at the moment. And then yeah, there's also the pros of maybe it's just a very it's a very um, still calm maybe you get more of a chance to uh, grow yourself spiritually even as well. Yeah, it's 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 true that the the, the general living costs are are a little bit cheaper out here. But um, what I was kind of just touching on was for some people the like. How to say, like luxury, luxury, like luxury spending budget, as it were. So, like, mm-hmm. there are certain yeah. things that like don't change, like the cost of an iPhone, the cost of shoes, the cost oh, yeah, of uh, the cost of a flight yeah. to Okinawa, or whatever. Like certain things just just yeah. stay the same. So your kind of your yeah your budget post the necessities 
um, is is still like massively reduced. Therefore, the stuff that you can do for fun, kind of thing, is yeah. is, is affected in that way. So, yeah, that's all I was like, yeah. trying to touch on there. But but for, but for me, like, you know, I was just trying to say like that's for, when I weighed things up, I was like, that's totally something that I'm prepared to trade off in return for much more free time, um, where I don't have to be on call twenty four seven. Um, a culture of like having to go out drinking and entertain people and, and, and pretty much like be lied to most of the time by customers and also your own colleagues a lot of the time. Um, mm. Yeah, there's a, there's a, like a ton of, I, I could go on for it, but like, yeah, the, 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 yeah. the pros, the pros outweigh the cons for me. Um, and of course, like you never, you never, you never know until you then make the move itself. But um even in hindsight, yeah, definitely glad I, I made the move. Um, mm. so, yes. Yeah, yeah, so, um, okay, cool. I mean, so yeah, you, you, you're willing to, uh, give up these kinds of, I guess, these, these frequent luxuries that, that people kind of sometimes expect as a part of when they reflect on a good life for them, they'll, they'll yeah. think of that as going to, a spa with a few of Fuji and, and doing that whenever they please. And, and so there's a certain life, you know, work style that comes with that. And, and you're happy to say, no, that's not really what I want. And so, um, with those, uh, pros of, of moving out, mm. are there, yeah. I mean, so, so do you, by the way, do you, do you feel like the, your human relationships are, are better out there? Because you mentioned, you know, the city life, people cheating and lying and all this kind of stuff. Is is, is that aspect better too? Uh, out out in the uh, again, this this could go on for this, this is a <laughs> this, this, this this conversation could take a lot of time as well. But uh, I say like another reason I did move out here was because I do like being by myself quite a lot. Like and uh, okay. So I lived in Azerbaijan, which is next to Rapongi, which is one of the main party districts in Tokyo. And mm. except for entertainment, I never went to any club like voluntarily. Uh, I mean, I probably went okay. once or twice in, in four years, like in terms yeah. of actually wanting to go and yeah. party and stuff, yeah. like, that sort of thing. And again, that's another trade-off. Some people want to go clubbing every weekend. Totally fine. But for mm. me, I'm like, nope, don't want to do that. So uh i'd much rather yeah. be in the countryside where it's where it's at where it's actually pitch black at night and it's actually quiet and you can get a good mm. night's sleep um mm. <laughs> so that's, that's that's you know more more of a ideal for me and um, yeah mm. the, the, the human relations thing is interesting because there are some specific japanese cultural things especially even in the countryside around like kind of community expectations and you're never quite sure Japanese people whether they're being genuine or not there's always this kind of there's a people are terrified of being direct in Japan generally speaking and mm. expressing how they really feel um, yeah kind of elevate the group harmony and like making people feel good and not causing inconvenience over having any kind of minor challenging confrontation or discussion or something so you've got to dance around those paradigms a little bit but 
yeah, it is nice to actually speak to your neighbors as opposed to in mm. Azabu, in my eight-story building, I never spoke to any of my neighbors ever. Anyone living in my apartment block in four years, just never spoke to them. So, yeah, there's yeah, a big dynamic uh, it was, shift there. It was, it, was, it was funny in Colombia because Colombia, even if when we were in, in the apartment block, which I agree with you, in my UK, that's the experience. In the UK, that's my experience. Like, you know, if you're in an apartment block, you won't even know who's, who's your neighbor uh, for yeah. years sometimes. But yeah. in Colombia, like, we'd end up it's just, it's just so friendly. You, you, you'd end up, I ended up trading like broccoli for eggs with my, with, with my neighbor at some point yeah, and finding yeah. out that it's wonderful culture. But okay. So with that comes this idea of how I think for the audience who might be thinking, who might, they, they, they might like Japan. I don't know what you call them. Nihong files. Um, they, they might like Japan. They might think about, uh, be thinking about spending time there. How hard was it this transition for you to, or maybe instead of how hard, like what did the transition entail where you had to kind of get to know the subtleties of Japanese society and, you know, this this communal harmony aspect and what was it hard to integrate? Would you consider yourself integrated now uh, into Japanese, like in your local community? I guess so, uh, but it's, I think it's just, like so again another reason i wanted to move out here was i wanted to even in tokyo after four years my japanese sucked it was pretty terrible um mm. and i was like well the only reason the only way it's really gonna get better is um if i put myself in a japanese environment because um, actually in shipping there's a guy called gareth he's a gareth morrison gareth morris michael michael knows him from, from musk called yeah. gareth and yeah. uh, Dylan, yeah, I remember Dylan. He's he's completely fluent, as far as I understand. He's fluent in Japanese, and I remember mm-hmm. being told that he spent uh, a lot a long stint of time working at some hotel out in the countryside, basically, and mm-hmm. that's kind of where he built Japanese language base from. And yeah, I kind of realized that working in an, even if you're working in Japan, when you're surrounded by English speaking colleagues and you're in an industry basically all of the customers that i had and michael has now they all speak english um because Mm. shipping is like it's an international english language industry and all of the contracts are done in english because obviously Mm. if you have contracts done in a different language there's like grammatical subtleties and stuff that people could then argue about and and kind of get Mm. all fussy about so Mm. everything has to be done in uh english uh like maritime law or whatever so it's all kind of um it's all english basically so of course you can make an effort with customers and speak about some stuff in japanese or go out drinking with them and try and speak in japanese but if the majority of your time throughout the week at work is spent in english then you can't really expect to make that much progress uh, studying studying japanese so yeah i basically was like, right i need to get out to a place where I have to speak Japanese and listen to Japanese um, almost all the time. And mm. I think with that then comes the ability to actually <laughs> integrate a bit more and involve yourself a bit more. Because when you don't speak Japanese, you're, you're, you're just always, you're kind of just an alien forever within Japan, mm. I think. Um, yeah. Even as a half-Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> Still. Exactly. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even when you're fluent, like, I guess a lot of the, a lot of half Japanese people, they get funny treatment from 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 Japanese people, right? For just for just for being half. But uh, it's, um, I don't know about that. I mean, I think they're, they're still. I think uh, they don't. They're not seen as Japanese. Maybe not always, but uh, I yeah. think they, they might even get favorable treatment. To be honest, as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think yeah. a lot of a lot of young Japanese people would say, oh, "I wish I was half Japanese." So, maybe that's just me thinking that. Maybe <laughs> maybe Japan's particularly like intense with this, but I think any any culture which is still any culture in the world, any country which is still connected to its its is still proud of its tradition and its roots. You're going to find that that's linked to language, and you can't access it. And you can't access people unless you some on some level speak speak the language, like like even like mm. you know let's just take Latin America. It's it's, it's it's quite new world. It's quite open. It's it's used to this history of migration in and out, uh, people settling. But still, I, I would say that unless you spoke, I mean, and unless you, you could just get by in the restaurants in English, but that's where you'd be stuck at that level, and, and you could never like hang out. And laugh even, or, or understand the subtleties of, of of what's going on. You, you couldn't just go out to the countryside and chill out in a bar and get to know, uh, like what's going on there. You'd always be outsider and alien. And it, I think maybe just Japan, where you experience this even more intensely because uh, mm. it's even it's even more connected to its traditions. Um, so many subtleties, so many ways you could get something wrong <laughs> and, yeah. and, and you're never going to figure that out in English. Uh, uh, cool. So, okay. So, so by picking up the language more, uh, and we kind of spoke about that a bit earlier about, about your journey to, 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 to picking up Japanese language, but picking up the language more helps you connect to people and, and then they're accepting of, of you uh, being like this. I mean, I don't think there's many, probably foreigners in, in, in the woods. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, hardly any. So, um, <laughs> I mean, uh, like most places, they're accepting, they're more accepting when you toe the line. <laughs> but when you, when you, uh, when you challenge something or say, oh, what about this? Then, um, you know, they'll, they'll say, oh, that's just, that's just, that's just you being English or whatever. That, that's just the British way of doing things. And it's like, well, whether I'm British or not is it's kind of a it's, it's a moot point because I'm just trying to suggest like a more efficient or rational way of doing something. You know, um, it's it's mm. it's irrelevant uh, where you're where you're from, really. It's it's um, but but yeah, I, I think mm. yeah, generally it's unavoidable in Japan, really, isn't it? Say again, sorry. It's un- it's unavoidable often in Japan. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit of a stigma almost. Yeah. 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 Being, I mean, I don't being, know young, you... being younger, being younger, and also foreign. It's uh, and also, yeah. and then speaking out to speaking out to people, and uh, kind of, especially in a work environment, that something that's again, it's been probably maybe it's in, interesting for you, a bit disappointing in terms of coming out here, and making the transition. Mm. Is mm. I thought that like in the forestry industry, where where people are getting out there like. It's a tough work environment, tough conditions. We're doing like we're doing well with our hands. I thought I thought people in this industry would be a lot more like just kind of logical, like rational and like efficient. 
less caught up in all the bureaucratic bullshit that that like salary men are and the whole pol- politics around like office politics and much less um how do i say just just be prepared to like work hard kind of thing and not not what not mm. sit around idling and wasting time like again like salary men do just kind of fill the time with whatever with, with like it's nothing that yeah it's interesting that it's but, almost but, like but, have been able to get away from it no. oh yeah it's it's really a cultural thing like the let's just fill the time kind of thing and like it's more important to be seen to be working than to actually mm. than the result like the result is almost like immaterial it, it, it's, yeah. it's kind of separate so it's been frustrating to come into the environment and actually learn that well even forest workers are they're japanese <laughs> and <laughs> they are they are not thinking about like what's the most efficient way we can get this work done and then go home and get on with our lives it's more like our work is you know kind of how to say yeah our, our lives are like we just need to shut shut like shut shut up and do the hierarchy stuff and even if it's inefficient, we should just do it because it's tradition and that's just how it's always been done, kind of thing. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I have a... Okay. I mean, I mean, okay. So, so, so with, with, with that, um, well, I mean, like, so I, I had a brief experience in, 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 in my time uh, in Japan, not really working. I was just volunteering for a little while. The hierarchy is real. Uh mm. Like the first thing that the guy said to me when I turned up onto this field, it was it was it was uh, an event on Sadagashima Island. Was like, he's a uh, he's 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 the master. I'm the king. You're the slave. Here's a piece of chalk. <laughs> Here's your instructions, <laughs> and that was it. That's the place you've got. Just establishing that from the beginning. <laughs> now take the instructions, <laughs> um, which I guess can be conflicting for for a Western person who like likes to like. Oh, it's a different culture, right? Where you contribute mm. your ideas and mm. um, and things like that. So, okay, interesting that that's 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 a that's a frustration, uh, especially out. And but but are they are they are they like uh, energetic with their work? Are they proud of their work? Because it can be su- surprising for for somebody from the outside to hear, like in Japan, that they're inefficient. Um, that we think of Japanese as the epitome of efficiency with everything they do, Shinkansen, all these like images of high hyper efficiency. So like, are, are they proud? Are they energetic with their work? Or, or is it kind of like, this is just my nine to five and I, I, when I want to get away from it. Uh, it's different concepts, I guess. It's, um, mm. it's, they're very good at like following procedure, right? And following rules following way of doing things but like we touched on like never questioning like is this way of doing things the best way of doing things and is it actually mm. is this actually the most efficient way of doing this thing uh so in that sense that that they're almost proud that they follow the rule book in a way i suppose that they're, they're mm. proud that they did this thing by the book um but yeah they rather yeah. for example the boss is the boss is German, uh, actually the guy I met on the on the mountain. And oh, nice. Uh, for example, like there's no proactive, there's no sense of being proactive. So if we finish the job, 
It's not mm. like, okay, cool. Let's, let's, let's find out what's the next job so we can prepare for it or we can start it or whatever. They'd rather mm. just like sit and wait to be told what to do as opposed to um, get out yeah. there and like be proactive and, and think about it's very, things like two, three steps. very German. No, but so sorry, this is the Japanese uh, oh, okay. um, uh, workers who are, who are like this. But yeah, fair enough. Um, I mean, the the yeah German boss is he's kind of come to come to expect it right from his workers, but uh, mm. it's, it still gets him frustrated as well. Like, so come on, I guess yeah. let's actually think mm. about the next job or uh, yeah, they'd rather stretch out. Yeah, like this past week, right? So we we had like. Uh, had a spot of work that we were doing. We we're like cutting weeds around these saplings that we've pl- that have been mm. planted. You've got to go back and like cut the weeds around them every year to make sure the weeds don't like kill, suffocate the the saplings, the baby trees. Mm-hmm. And we we done the area that we we were contracted to do um, by like mid morning on that mm-hmm. day, and like the work days mm-hmm. through until like four. And people mm-hmm. were just like then going on to do. So we're only contracted to do the area where the tree is planted, right? So two meter mm-hmm. channel where the where these trees are planted. We're mm-hmm. not contracted to do like the the bits like next to that where the weeds are growing yeah. up. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I mean that's just not it's just kind of not in the contract and it, it doesn't really affect the the the, the trees growth. And. Okay. But because we'd finished like before, like the contract to work day, like the time, people were just mm-hmm. started cutting those areas as well, like as if to just to fill just to fill up the time doing something, you know. When in yeah. reality, it's like, well, you're using fuel, you're uh-huh. using machinery, which you know hours and hours of use on a machinery wears it down, and ultimately mm-hmm. it breaks, and the parts break. Mm-hmm. You're using your energy and time. And uh, where we could mm. be preparing for the next job or whatever. So it's things mm. like that. Like they'd rather fill up the time with like stuff that's not actually necessary or yeah. than than do the job and then think, right, what's next? Uh let's let's crack mm. on. Um, so. and there's not those considerations yeah of like of of of, of effectiveness like how you know this, this is yeah. the outcome this is the goal this is how we can effectively manage our resource our energy this is it's more like let's this is what we do let's just <laughs> keep on going in the next section yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, mindlessly almost um that's super interesting that's super interesting um did so i think mike touched on this earlier and and it was like kind of so it sounds like would you consider yourself an introvert um or uh, yeah yeah I'd say, I'd say more 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 of an introvert than than extrovert yeah. yeah to 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 have your time and, and get away from um like you know just have your own time basically yeah. as as well yeah has yeah. that has that been um yeah cool and has that um i think i don't I, actually i'm not sure if we should go into spirituality in this podcast i'm kind of heading <laughs> yeah. that way but I, I i get a feeling that that might be its own topic um because you know i don't know how you guys feel about that what do you think like to to to, to mark that for for, for another podcast 
Yeah, I, th- I think me and Michael are getting sleepy, so we should have more energy for, uh, for, 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 for a discussion around spirituality. That'll be more. Productive. Yeah, because yeah. I know that you, you you wake up at four a.m. to to actually yeah. you know get going with your work, and now it's like what nine thirty or something in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just a long day. But yeah, you, and uh, yeah. No, I know. I know. Also, you got a you got a you said mentioned last time that you're you're you have a background of. Uh, of uh, your father was a, a pastor as well, right? So there's uh, yeah, there's yeah. that to explore as well. I mean, I think uh, mm. what I was interested in was like uh, like being up in the mountains or something. Usually, it's like whenever I'm up in the mountains by, by myself, or at least when I was last up in Nagano, it was often in those periods. Just and that was only there for a week that you you, you found. I found myself, you know, being able to contemplate on these kind of like philosophical, spiritual moments at least mm. much easily. So I don't know if that's something that you've reflected on more as well in your time up there. But anyway, I think also, like I said, you can you, that's, that's like, like you can you can expand on that a lot. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's 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 the other journey of of, of James, I guess. From from that we I'll be quite curious to investigate. All right, well. That was pretty awesome. I mean, I, I I definitely picked up, and I hope the audience picked up. You know what, what it might be to um, live in 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 the woods of Japan, like you know, <laughs> culturally, in terms of work, how you might find work, what that feels like. You know, if, if basically if you want to find work, just stroll around and see if you can <laughs> meet yeah, <laughs> meet yeah. a German guy and yeah, give yeah. give it. You know. And and also, I think the conversation about hunting and even spirituality was there in a way, like this kind of experience of the world beyond yourself, um, was 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 a fascinating one um, for for sure. So I mean, thanks, James. Uh, that's definitely, especially at the end of your day. I know this is this is like, uh, yeah. What time thanks. are you? What time are you waking up tomorrow morning? Uh, yeah, we're going to have a 4.30 usual. 4.30? Oh, yeah. gosh. That's seven hours from now. <laughs> usual. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll leave you to it. <laughs> Thanks.